Shabbat Shalom and welcome to Kehilat Tenuvah, The Harvest, a Messianic Charismatic Congregation in Thornton, Colorado. You're listening to the Shabbat message delivered by Senior Pastor Mark McClellan. Our goal is to provide, for free, the message of the Torah from a Messianic Judaic perspective. Here's Pastor Mark. I'll just open it with a quick word of prayer and then I'll speak. Avino Malkin, our Father, our King, Lord, we bless your name. Father, we say we are enthralled with you today and we are in love with your son, Yeshua. We pray, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit, as we like to say, drive out the darkness and send forth your light. Father, cause us to rise up in your name. Cause us to, to, to well up with boldness for Yeshua, your son. Cause us to be a witness. Cause us to be light and salt in this very, very dark and evil world. Help us to realize that we are sons of the king and that we follow the master and that we have nothing to be ashamed of. Lord, help us to realize who we are, that you have redeemed us by the very precious blood of your son, Yeshua. And Father, that you are calling us out, you're calling us higher, and that you're allowing us to be representatives for you here on earth. You're speaking through us. So, Father, we take this responsibility very seriously. Help me, Father, today to be circumspect. Help me to weigh my words. Help me to realize that this is an opportunity to speak not just to the people here today, but to the people who will be listening to this message by podcast. This message goes around the world. So, Father, I'm humbled that I'm allowed to speak today. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Continue to bless us, to minister to us, to feed us. For it's in your great name that we pray, Amen. So, let's go throw up my sermon title. Let's see if this works. This will be humorous. All right, good. We dropped the... The, the original title said, Va'ahavta et Adonai lohecha. That's the title of my message. Anyone know what that is? By the way, just... Oh, yes, behind me. Va'ahavta et Adonai lohecha. I wrote it up there in Hebrew, but the Hebrew didn't translate over into the slides, so we just did the translation. And you shall love the Lord your God... Why did I choose this title? This is a familiar passage. You all know this, right? Shema. If you're praying, if you're praying the set time prayers like I do, like Judaism does, praying twice a day, in the morning and then the, I'm sorry, in the evening, when you lie down and when you rise up. Um, Shema is prayed, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It's prayed many times. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. What I want to talk to you today is about the most important relationship that you really can have. And it's so simple. I almost felt sheepish when I felt God drop this in my spirit. I thought, that's what you want me to talk about? That's so simple. Yet, I think most of us miss it, and it's so profound. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. We're going to see more Hebrew in a moment, and I'm going to show you some really neat nuggets. And that's, that'll be kind of part of where my sermon's going. But... Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, which was given to Moshe 3,500 years ago or so, through the fullness and unfolding of God's revelation, we now know, and we have the clearest picture, that this really means loving Yeshua. It means a loving relationship with Yeshua. Loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength means falling in love with Yeshua. He really must be your first love. There is no relationship described where you love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and you don't love Yeshua. Because the Son has come to reveal the Father. How can you say you're in love with the Father and you don't know the Son? There's lots of, you can tell I'm kind of 
um, kind of gazeter shava pulling in um, by kind of association analogy different verses from the New Testament. God has always envisioned, however, this relationship between his people covenantally, corporately, but also individually. And I think here's where a lot of us sometimes don't catch it. When up there in the verses earlier where it said, you shall love the Lord your God, it's actually in the plural. You, all of you, shall love the Lord your God. And the way we figure this out is in Hebrew, the suffixes that get added to words give you a clue as to what persons or you know, plural, singular, masculine, feminine are. How many of you knew that about Hebrew? Some of you didn't, but some of you are studying Hebrew. All right, so let's do this. Throw, go ahead and throw up slide number 26. Let's read this for a second. Got the laser. So you see up here, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Adonai Eloheinu, this word right here, Eloheinu. See the last two letters, Nu, or Enu if you want. This suffix clues us into, is it the, the Lord your God or the Lord your God? Right? So the question is, you know, does the English you, your, second person indicate singular or plural? So watch. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Here is where the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is plural, as we can see. Nu, Eloheinu, our God. And in the English, it catches it. Our God is one. So the first verse, the first, first Pasuk, has Moshe speaking to the entire group of people. But watch what happens when you, get to, when you start reading from verse 5 down through verse 9. And you are to love Adonai your God. If you're not careful, the English doesn't give you an indicator that it perhaps did or did not switch from plural to singular. But we'll see this in a moment. And you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your resources. These words which I'm ordering you today are to be on your heart. And you are to teach them carefully to your children. You are to, walk, you are to talk about them when you sit at home, when you are traveling on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. It's easy to, again, and I'm not saying you have to be a Hebrew scholar. You don't. By the way, these days you really don't. You can just go to, you know, there's all manner of Bible software available, concordances available. I brought tons of books up here in case I need them. I've got my laptop full of, I've got the Talmud on my laptop, right? I've got, you've got every resource available today. And if you can't look that up, ask me because I can read it. But, um, oh yeah, and then the last few. Tie them as a sign on your hand. Put them at the front of a headband around your forehead. Write them on the orphans of your house and on your gates. Thank you um, for throwing up 27 for me. So, does the English in these verses, you, your, does it indicate plural or singular? What's the second person doing? That's kind of the question that we want to ask. Now, before we throw up slide uh, 29, let me read something for you, in case you guys might wonder where I'm getting some of this. I mean, I figured this out when I was reading Hebrew, studying Hebrew, but it's kind of nice to see it in other resources. This is the Hirsch Chumash. It's a rabbinic commentary, uh, um, non-Messianic but still chock full, a lot of good Hebrew nuggets that you ordinarily wouldn't get if you didn't have a Hebrew resource, either in the, in the way of a rabbi as a friend or even just someone else. Um, on the commentary to this particular verse that we're reading about, it make, he, uh, Hirsch makes this comment. He says, wherever the form of address alternates between singular and plural, 
as in the beginning of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, like we started out with, the plural form addresses the nation in the plurality of its individual members, whereas the singular form addresses the nation as a whole. Now, I can, under, I can agree with that, where you'll have, you'll have a word that says you, and like in English we say you, as in you all. So I'm, collect, I'm addressing the group of you. But then at the same time, English allows for you, you know, one person. Or in the South, we say y'all, right? <laughs> so the duty to observe, notice what Hirsch talks about. The duty to observe Torah devolves upon every individual. In essence, upon the nation and the plurality of its members. The commandments must be observed by everyone, not just by official representatives of the nation. In the view of divine truth, a nation that officially professes loyalty to the Torah, but whose individual members deny this loyalty by their personal conduct is an intolerable absurdity. In other words, let me just paraphrase to, so I can cut to the chase here. Um, Hirsch is trying to bring out the fact that God envisioned a covenant with a group of people in which each individual member had the divine privilege and responsibility of walking in the commandments that were given to the group as a whole. So it's, God didn't really envision that, okay, the leaders have to keep the commandments because they're leaders, but the rest of you, you can slide or... You can, you, know, you can gather in your meetings, but only the leaders have to pay attention, but everyone else can just sleep. God didn't envision that. So now let's bring up slide 29 and see this. I know this is not going to be, I mean, it's probably too light to see for some of you, and that's all right. I'm going to read this for you too. So now we've got the Shema again showing up. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. There's our new at the very end. Eloheinu, the Lord our God. Group of people. But here's what's really neat now. This line right here is inserted um, if you're, because I pulled this straight from a website, rabbinic website. If you're praying the prayers, you would insert this, blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom forever. But it's not actually in the, the Torah. Um, it's just a comment <laughs> to what, instructions of what to do if you're praying this. Look at this here though. This is the rest of the passage. This is five through nine that we just read earlier about um, these, um, and you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your resources. These words which I'm ordering you today be on your heart. And I'm reading it from David Stern's version. Teach them carefully. You don't have to go back to the slide. Huh? Um, you're to teach them carefully to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. And I, and I underlined all those yous. But now let's see what they are. So this says, what I want you to listen for, it's actually a little Hebrew lesson. The end of the word for the Hebrew suffix is echa or echem. And Hebrew is what we call male presumptive. So if you have a group, of, if you have a mixed group, when the speaker is speaking to the group, if there are males and females, the pronouns go into the masculine. Even if there's one male in the group, you could have a 99 females and one male, and the guy speaking is going to use the masculine suffix, echem. So that's what happens if it were a group, echem, the end, whatever, like your house, chem, your car, chem, your book, chem, your table, chem, your you're whatever, you're something chem. But when it's singular, it's echa, echa, using the masculine. So it's you, as if I was pointing to one guy. You are to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, I like that word meodika, which we're going to see up in a moment, with all your veriness is what it literally translates. With all, your, with all you've got, right? Which makes sense why the Greek pulled in that extra word when they said with all your mind. So here's what we end up with. Right here we start out with, You shall love the Lord your God. Vahavta et Adonai Elohecha. Up here it's Eloheinu, 
knew all of you. But down here, this, this little letter plus that little T underneath it is the Cha. This is you individually. Now, I understand it's male presumptive, but context, context. It's individuals now. You are the Lord, love the Lord your, your God, your, not you group. Now, I know it is a group, but now God's singling out the individuals. He wants us to realize that his relationship with us is not just on a corporate level. It is on an individual level. You've got to love the Lord, your God, your God, your personal God. Don't just say, you know, yeah, you know, my parents' religion, the God of my father's, the God. He is your God. That word right there, all your veriness. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. I want you to listen for the chaz. There's a lot of echaz in there, about 16 or so to be exact. What's God saying to us? All those yous that you saw in the other one, these words which I'm ordering you today, they're to be on your heart, you're to teach them to your children, you are to talk about them when you sit at home. Not just the group, individuals. You've got to embrace God on a personal level. We talk about changing the nation, change the nation, change the world. Mark and I resonate on this. He and I were chatting this morning and I, was, I told him, I said, man, you've been preaching, you're talking about we need, to, we need to go out and we need to be world changers. But how can we change the world if we can't change the nation? How can we change the nation if we can't change the community? How can we change the community if we can't change our families? How can we change the families if we can't change ourselves? You have got to change. You have got to embrace Yeshua personally. You have got to fall in love with him all over again. This is really the meat of my uh, message today. It's personal revival. We cry out for revival for our nation, and we need it. We really do. But it's individuals. You've got to embrace it for yourself. The Shema is a command to have a personal, one-on-one, intimate relationship with the God of all creation. I'm going to accelerate a little bit because I'm looking at my time. Now I, know how, now I can appreciate it. Mark, when he's like, gosh, I've only got five minutes. Uh, throw up slide 31. We talk about being Torah observant here in the Messianic movement. Shomer Mitzvot. We're Shomer Mitzvot. I got a series on the website called Shomer Mitzvot. You know, we want the latest and the most complete way of how to keep Sabbath, how to keep kosher, how to keep the festivals, you know. Things like this. We're in, remember that soulish thing all over again. You've got to be careful. But you know, the most Torah observant thing one can do is accept Yeshua as Messiah and to make him Lord of your life. That's the most Torah observant thing you can do. That's Shomer Mitzvot. That's where it starts, people. We've got to get our priorities straight again. Next slide. This really is the meat of my message today. The Ruach HaKodesh is calling his people to fall in love once again with their first love, namely Yeshua HaMelech. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King. We have got to embrace him all, all over again. It's so easy for us as people to, to let other things take priority. Our time with God uh, 
becomes marginalized. You know, I'm too busy in the morning. I've got to get ready for work. Got that morning commute. Then I've got, you know, eight hours of brutal work, working that dead-end job. And then I've got that brutal commute again. Then I get home, and if you're, you know, depending on what your roles are in the house, you either have to get, you know, dinner ready, get the kids ready for soccer practice, um, you know, feed the dog, water the grass, you know, do this, do that. Got to slip in time for your favorite TV show at night, right? Your favorite sitcom, and then, you know, you've got to get to bed early because you've got to get up and do the whole thing all over again. Where's God? Where's Yeshua? You've got to make priorities. I know we're all adults in this room. Even the kids are adults in a crude kind of way. You can do it. You can do it. You've got a purpose to do it. You've got to, you've got to decide that you are going to pursue God and that you're going to make Yeshua first. Go ahead and pursue after Torah if you'd like. That's fine. Torah observant, Shobar Mitzvot, all you want. You know, get the seat seat, get the keeper. You know, get the cool little. You got my little. What is that hair that goes up at the at the at the top there? My little uh, Robo Boy look there, right? Got my little soul patch going on. I'm cool. <laughs> but Yeshua is the coolest thing you can do. <laughs> He's the coolest thing you can do. Look at this quote from Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, Put slide 35 up there. Feed yourself. Before I read this, you've got to feed yourself. I have a morning commute of about 30 to 40 minutes one way in the morning because there's little traffic. But on the the afternoon, it can be sometimes between 45 minutes to an hour because of the traffic and because I have to take the, the lanes I take. So that's time that I could either be listening to sports radio, I could listen to talk radio, I could listen to the oldies, I could listen to rap, I could listen to rock, I could listen to whatever I want. But it's very hard to read your Bible while you're driving. But wait a minute. We've got audio Bible these days. You can throw the Bible on CD, pop it in your CD player, and be listening to scripture on the way to work and on the way home. And that's exactly what I've been doing for the last few years putting Torah in my head, meditating with God while I'm driving, drowning out, responsibly, of course, drowning out the nonsense around me, listening to messages, listening to Mark's messages, listening to the the Saturday sermon again, listening to other good teachers. Pull this in around you. Pull in the word of God and other men of faith, women of faith, pull them in around you. I um, got introduced to Dr. Michael Brown several years back. Great apologist, um, Messianic apologist, Jewish man, top-notch. Top-notch. The guy is really, really smart. When it comes to Messianic apologetics, there's really no match for Michael Brown. (laughs) Ask the rabbis who have challenged him and failed. Michael Brown, however, Dr. Michael Brown is also a very, very passionate revivalist. I mean, his heart is just yearning for... Uh, national revival, personal revival. And so he's got a lot of great commentaries um, that I strongly recommend. It sounds like an endorsement or something, but I'm just trying to tell you what has worked for me. Obviously, he's not the only one, but look at this great quote from one of his books. Draw near, um, the book is entitled um, The End of the American Gospel Enterprise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's, and if you're wondering about that reference, anybody know where the book of Jacob's found? Thank you. It's the book of James that we call. Why do we call it James? It's, it's Jacob. Let's get it right, right? The book of Jacob. Thank you. <laughs> so, the book of Jacob. 
draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's a promise of the word. This is what we call propositional truth, essentially. Propositional truth. The, the, the writers of the Bible would say things like, as sure as, and I'm going to read this verse later on, as sure as the sun's going to rise, the Lord is going to come to us. The sun rises every day. It's empirical proof. So the writers of scripture were so convinced that God was going to come to them and, that, come to them and be with them that they compared it to things that were empirically true, things that, that no one would dispute. God will draw near to you as surely as the sun rises. It's not like, God will draw near to you because I feel it. You understand what I mean? Propositional truth is truth that is true whether you believe or not. You know, God is true whether you believe he's God or not. He doesn't need your opinion to be true. This is propositional truth. This is the promise of the word. Wherever you are, whatever your condition. You can read up there. Prayer can carry you back. Don't let the devil rob you and tell you that it's too late. Just move in God's direction. Every day, take a step. Baby steps. Just go in the right direction, okay? Skip some meals and devour the word. Turn off the TV. Fast and shut yourself in with Yeshua. Call out to him every hour, morning, noon, and night. Pour out your soul to God. Pour out your soul to God. I think it's because many of us haven't been in a place where we're broken yet, where we're empty, where we're starving, where we say, God, if you don't visit me, I'll die. We have to come to a place of desperation sometimes. That's a good place to be. Pour out your soul to God. Before you know it, he will change your heart. He will change your heart. It's absolutely sure. The word promises it. Yeshua promises it. The spirit promises it. Let me, in these last few minutes, just uh, show you... um, Tim Haig, great Torah resource. There's a pun there for those of you who are following what I'm talking about. Um, Tim Haig is a great Torah resource. The pun is that his website's called TorahResource.com. Um, he's a great uh, resource as well. Um, I mean, his, his commentaries, H-E-G-G, Tim Haig. His commentaries are top-notch. I, I highly recommend them as well. Let me see if I can read these to you in the last five minutes. Slide 37. Tim talks about three aspects of a relationship with God. And I, want, I hope we can kind of relate here. Level one is what many of us do when we first start seeking God. We simply start studying. We want to investigate the source. And this is what Tim Hay calls outward facing. God reveals himself to us. In level two, what ends up happening is we take the sources and we internalize them. We turn them into meditation. And these are all good. Meditation, prayer, practical application. This is kind of the second step and it's kind of inward facing. And, and it's soul searching. A lot of us need this. We really need this. This is where the believer partners with the rule of Kakodesh to bring about necessary life changes. Because you read things in the Bible and the Spirit starts convicting you that you're not lining up with what the Word says. And so you start this inner in, introspection. And it's good, this soul searching. And the Holy Spirit says, this needs to change. This needs to change. You need to shore this up. Yeshua reveals himself to you through the words of the Torah, through this meditation. We've got to have this. We need both of these. And then level three, or step three, and don't worry, these aren't like, you've got to step one, step two, step three, but you, you're following along with me. Worship, worship and communion. And that's what it leads to, is that the study leads to meditation and change, which leads to this worship and communion with God. And that's what I've been doing for the last like five years, deeply, 
You know, I didn't realize I was devoid of the communion of God and worship of God until I tasted of his goodness and realized what have I been leaving out of my life? And this is upward facing. This is where the believer praises God for the changes and the revelation and the illumination that God does. So if your study doesn't lead you to your knees, which leads you to your feet, then something's wrong with your study. So look at this last slide. This is a chart that kind of shows what happens. This is very general, but kind of shows what happens when those of us, either as whole groups or individuals, kind of get stuck in either one, two, three, or one and three, or two and three, or two and one, but we don't really follow through with with the whole counsel of of God and the whole um, relationship that God really has for us. Look at this. And there's, there's plenty more, but this is just a smattering. For people who kind of get stuck in one only, their theology is very routine. It's a very routine theology, research-based. It's a dead orthodoxy, and they really just have just the facts. You know people who are like this? You know religious groups who are like this. They just study, and that's about it. They're very intellectual, they're very smart, but they stop at level one, and they don't move forward. And I don't believe that that's what God's word is designed to do. God's word is surely, it is intellectual nutrition, It is intellectual nutrition, but it's more than that. Look at this. People or groups who go to two and three only, and they leave out number one. They skip the study, and they go straight to the meditation, the prayer, and then straight to praising God for what they they got during their, their experience. They end up being existentialist. Their theology is existentialist. It's devoid of objective criteria. It's experience based. It's they believe it because it happened to them type of people. And when you, who are rooted in the word, try to explain to them or challenge their view, their mystical experience, their personal experience, they don't want to hear any of that. I don't know what the Bible says, but I know what happened to me. I saw God. I met God. And he told me to leave my wife. I know it. You know, they'll give you all this kind of nonsense. And these are people who... Don't, they're not grounded in, in, in objective truth like the Torah teaches, but they've got this experience and they're, they're thankful to some higher being because of it. Look at people who get stuck at number three only. They're really out there. Mystical theology, totally subjective viewpoints. Little or no accountability, by the way. I hear from God directly, they say. No one needs to tell me. I don't even need to pray to God. He just talks to me. You know, I download him. Like I download a, a podcast on my iPod or something. You've got to be really scared, aware, aware of these people. Three only. Look at one and two. Man-centered theology. Social religious viewpoints. They tend towards self-help approach. These are actually generally very good people. Very good. Very sociable, smiling, humanitarian. They want to help each other. Let's go out and have like... Um, bring your pet to work day or, you know, wash your car as a group day. And I'm not trying to make fun or belittle the social accomplishments that happen through, through these groups because oftentimes they can, they can raise a lot of money and they can meet the needs of the poor and they tend to um, help each other. They, they're, they're very quick to recognize when, oh, that brother needs a handout or he needs help. Let's go help him. But... It doesn't lead to the genuine worship and thanksgiving that God deserves. Because they kind of say, you know what? 
The power's in you to change. You can change your own destiny. It's in you. You just need to help yourself. And so it, it kind of gets stuck on the self-help approach rather than the God-help approach. Look at this one. Two only. Where they get stuck in meditation prayer. They don't have any objective study and, there's no, and it doesn't lead to any worship. It's just the meditation. Very pietheistic. Pietheistic theology often centers on conformity to a religious culture, fosters separate, separated groups, and in extreme examples, it, fit, it cults kind of catch this one. I was reading about the um, Puritans earlier this morning, and I'm almost out of time, so I'm, I'm finishing up. The Puritans. And I'm not trying to judge anyone. I'm simply trying to observe and, and kind of understand how they left England to come to America and, and worship God, but something got stuck in the middle and, and things got lost, and I think they left one and three behind. That, that's, that's only one group I'm even going to mention. And then I'll close with this one. I'll stop here. Or, I mean, I've got one more slide, but it's just a verse. One in three, we got this glory theology. We read the word and we bless the Lord. God, glory theology. It's all good. It's all good. Read the Bible, praise God. Read the Bible, praise God. I'm not trying to belittle that, but look what's missing. The church often has a nice home and garden club feel to it. You know, let's come together and praise God. Let's read the Bible and sing a hymn and praise God. Let's meet on whatever night we meet or morning we meet on and read a, read a, a, a hymn and worship the Lord. And it has the idea of taking up... It, it, it has this nice, like I say, club and, uh, uh, gar, home and garden club feel to it. However, but the idea of taking up one's cross and suffering for the cause of Messiah... It's not really welcome there. It's not really welcome in these groups. We don't want to suffer. You're kings and priests. You should be driving a Rolls and wearing Rolexes. I'm not trying to single out or or make fun of different groups, but I'm trying to exaggerate for a reason. You know, the Bible says we're kings and priests. Praise God, I'm a king and a priest. What about sin? What do you mean, what about sin? I'm a king and a priest. So we've got to worry about that. I mean, sorry, we've got to be careful of that as well. And true, some prosperity gospel groups fit this model. Put up this next slide and let's read it together. With all I've talked about today, with all I've shared with you, the clever Hebrew nuggets, the the cool um, Hebrew insights and things like that, none of it really matters, per se, if you're not pursuing God personally, and if you're not making him priority, and what I mean is Yeshua, Yeshua centric. Look at what Hosea says to us. I love this verse. Let us acknowledge the Lord, but not just acknowledge. Let us press on to acknowledge him. Make this your heart cry. And this is the verse I was referencing earlier. As surely empirical proof As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. Hosea didn't have a doubt. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. He will come. He will fill you. He will fill you to overflowing. This is my testimony. I'm 
I'm living proof of this. And I'm, right now I'm just saying, Lord, continue to fill me. I'm, I, I want to be hungrier for you. I want to I thirst after your righteousness. I want to seek your kingdom. Surround yourself with this concept. You know, turn off the radio, turn off the TV. Put away the distractions. Get alone with God. Start somewhere. If you don't have a lot of time, start with a little bit of time and work your way out. And God will accommodate I don't have a clever way of closing my message. I kind of stopped at that verse. But I really feel that that's really all I need to say. I want you to think about that this week. I want you to think about that as soon as you go home. Don't wait. Don't wait. The minute you find yourself with two or three minutes to do something else, it's two or three minutes to start talking to God. Again, be responsible. Make time is my point. Make time. Make it a priority. The days are closing in. The days are getting evil. And you know what? Only the strong are really going to make it. And if you are not anchored in Yeshua, if you're not anchored in him, you're going to get tossed to and fro. Even as believers, there's words in there for us about that. We have got to be grounded in him. Let's stand. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And we add, In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Receive now the name of Yahweh. Ivarekeka Yahweh Varishmarecha Yaher Yahweh Panai Velecha Vihunecha Yisa Yahweh Panai Velecha Vayasem Lecha Shalom Bashem Yeshua Mashiach Sarah Shalom Shabbat Shalom You've been listening to the Shabbat message delivered by Senior Pastor Mark McClellan. We hope you have found this teaching relevant and challenging for your life. If you are in the Metro Denver area, please join us on Shabbat. Service starts at 1 p.m. and ends at 3.15 p.m. Kehila Tenuva is located at 8891 Pose Boulevard in Thornton, Colorado, just a few miles north of downtown Denver. Every Monday night, Kehila Tenuva presents Monday Night Live, an evening filled with a variety of classes for the whole family. Classes start at 6.50 p.m. and end at 9 o'clock p.m. For more information, please visit www.graftedin.com. That's www.graftedin.com. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 29993, Thornton, Colorado, 80229. For inquiries, please call 303-761-9948 or email info at graftedin.com. Thank you for listening to the Shabbat message. Shabbat Shalom and Shavuot Tov.